The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Welcome back to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. Today's film, Die Hard 2, it's Die Hard in an airport. How can the same shit happen to the same podcasters? (laughs) (laughs) I had to, I had to. Indeed. Hello, Phil. Hello, Liam. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm Phil Gawthorne. Phil's in charge. I'm the side, I'm the, I'm the Al, Al... Al Powell. You're Al Powell today. I'm the Al Powell to your John McClane. I'd like to see you have a bit more uh, screen time. Especially, or yeah, time. that's it's pretty a, minimal in this. He got one. wasted this time. He got wasted. What film were we talking about? So we are talking about Die Hard Two, aka Die Hard Two, Die Harder, um, and uh, it's Die Hard in an airport. It's Die Hard in an airport. It's it's lightning striking twice. So top line fact check on this bad boy. Die Hard Two was released by Fox in the U.S. on July 4th, 1990. Happy 4th so of July. Is it two years? Two years after okay. the original movie. Um, it was directed by Rennie Harlan and produced by Charles Gordon, Lawrence Gordon, and Joel Silver. It stars, once again, Bruce Willis, Bonnie Bedelia, and William Sadler. And a pl- plethora, plethora of character, an unbelievable plethora of Absolute, character actors, yes. it, it, it should be said. Absolutely. Um, screenplay was written by Doug Richardson and Stephen E. D'Souza based on the novel 58 Minutes by Walter Wager, which we're going to talk about a little bit. And it was made on an estimated budget of $62 million and grossed $240 million. It was actually a bigger hit than the first movie. Well, yeah, it's a sequel. It so, has to be a bigger hit, right? That's not, not always the case, that's though, not actually. True. So sometimes it's predicted. I remember seeing some stat that it was, in, in those days, it was like, if it grossed 65% of the original movie, it's con- that's sort of the bar. <laughs> so to times, my that? friend. Indeed. <laughs> Different times. Indeed. Indeed. Different times in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, let's 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 jump right into this. So, it's a direct sequel to the first film. Uh, so, as we've said, several of the cast members return, the headliners, but also Reginald Vell Johnson as the lovable cop Al Powell, and William Atherton 
as the sleazy reporter Dick Thornburg. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dick Thornburg. I have to say, I agree. I'm a little disappointed that Al Powell is in this movie for one scene. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to see more of him. And of course, he didn't return, sadly, for the other sequels. But I think it was... I, I, what I read about that was that his his sitcom kind of made it difficult for his oh, schedule. Oh, yeah. He started... That guy yeah. started printing money. Like, yeah. it's cool. I, good, I'm, I'm good sure... Luck yeah, to him. I don't think he's like... Enough. He's made a house for Twinkies. He is yeah. living it like, up. Like, he is... I mean, God bless. Do your thing. Absolutely. Um, so it had the same producers, but a new director, which is significant. John McTiernan, as we talked about in our previous episode on The Hunt for Red October, he chose that movie ahead of Die Hard 2. He felt that Bruce Willis's character, John McClane, had become, was was heading more in a superhero direction as opposed to a grounded character. That was McTiernan's um, take on the script. Yeah, he felt it was, you know, something. It's interesting, though, how after he did Last Action Hero, which didn't perform to box office standards, suddenly he went back to Die Hard 3 and those concerns mm, mysteriously evaporated as the money Listen, truck beeped towards I'm, his house. I'm a, I'm a Last Action Hero devotee. Oh, we're, so yeah, yeah. It's we, a, well, what's a wonderful movie? We're, talk, we're being gross Great and talking about box office. But LA, yeah, not, LA not movie. The other, it's also worth, worth noting that um, we have the same composer but different cinematographer. Oliver Wood shooting this time as opposed to Jan de Bont and different editors um, Robert A. Ferretti and Stuart Baird who's worth noting because he would later go on to direct his own Die Hard on a Plane movie Executive Decision so Stuart Baird did not edit Die Hard he did not it was uh, John F. Link and Frank J. Urosti, uh, for s- memory serves. You know what I think I'm doing I'm confusing the fact that Jan de Bont shot Jan de Bont shot it but Stuart Baird did edit 99% of action movies yeah, seem that's in between that's 1980 probably, and I'm just I'm actually showing my knowledge of the genre <laughs> so, yeah, as opposed it, to it's not. It's by osmosis. Stuart Baird just absorbs into our, our minds. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the big question that we have to talk about. Let's do it. Is... <laughs> Is Die Hard 2 a Christmas movie? It's the question that is it's polarizing. Hans, it's Hans Podcasters. <laughs> the, 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 polarizing the I couldn't the planet. sleep last night thinking about it. Um, yeah, it's a Christmas movie. Of course it is, it's, just like the first one it's is. It's less of a Christmas movie than the first one, though, I would say. it's It has a little less mirth and a little less merriment, which I think is a good way to talk about the movie in general. It doesn't quite like... Gel is a Christmas movie. Doesn't have the warm movie. and fuzzies. No warm and fuzzies in the way that the original movie has. I think that's that's fair. What I find here's what I'll say about the Die Hard is Die Hard a Christmas movie. Yada yada. For me, what these films are so indelibly linked to my experience of of the Christmas holidays that when I watch them, yeah, and it's not Christmas as I have done for this show. My my brain breaks. There's a little <laughs> There's bit of a, like a temporal, like wait, it's sh- I should be like sipping a nice little whiskey or yeah, something like, like yeah, for sure. It doesn't sure. feel right. You know, it actually feels, there's this weird kind of cognitive dissonance that occurs. Yes. It, it's like this, you know, it would be like watching Jingle All the Way, you know, in April. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you Do you, know? what's your relationship with this film? For me, this is like the, it's Die Hard Light you know, mm. it's diet die hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tr- let me just say off the bat, I love this movie. I think it's a fantastic sequel. I think they did an amazing job with it. We're going to break down 
uh, the whys and wherefores of all that. But for me, is is a, even though the film isn't necessarily warm and fuzzy, there is a sort of a, a cozy feeling I have watching it. Again, I associate it with the Christmas holidays, off, usually watching it with my dad. Maybe if we if we watch yeah. Die Hard too often, we'll watch... The, why don't we watch the sequel this year? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you want a little palate cleanse? Like, Absolutely. Let's, let's, let's have a little change of pace in a weird way so i i think we'll, we'll talk about my feelings yeah, about how about movie. you i yeah. i i love i largely love this movie i i think it's hard not to love this movie if you like having an engaging time watching a movie um but it doesn't i think die hard light is the exact apt descriptor um and i think and i, I as we get into our anatomy of an action movie i really want to get into this but there's um I don't want to say this movie because I don't want to be cruel because I really do like it is a pale imitation of the original, but it lacks for or it doesn't deliver on some of I really think it's a case of like lightning doesn't exactly strike twice. It strikes pretty it close. Got close, though. It's in the neighborhood. It's, it's in the strike it's maybe zone. Maybe even yeah. in the block. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It is certainly not like the same the same house it's getting struck by lightning. Total... I really carried that metaphor to its, its logical uh, yeah. extreme. <laughs> And now, and, and now here's you know, Fred with the weather. You know, it's not the exact right. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's two. There's two ways to look at Die Hard two in in this, which you, you you've just raised. One is as a sequel to Die Hard. How does it compare? And two, how does it stand up on its own terms? If this right. was just forget forgetting Die Hard for a second, forgetting the original movie, which is of course a classic. How does this film, in a vacuum? How, how do how do you how do you kind of view it? Right. It's just sort of a two. It's kind of a subtle distinction, but I think yes, it, it's uh, my take on that would be, of course, Die Hard is to to use your yeah. it's lightning in a bottle that right. was captured. This came pretty damn close, nar- narrowly it's explosion missed. Explosion in an elevator shaft. Yes. Yeah, exactly <laughs> for sure. But taken on its own terms, this is a pretty terrific action movie. Oh that yeah, beat most other. Action it's a top tier action movie. Yes, and, but, but that just goes to tell you how amazing Die Hard is. Have we talked about Die Hard? We kind of we kind of like heard it. Of Die Hard? Have you heard we're, of it? We're fans of it. We Check think it's it out. Pretty good. Um, I grew up actually watching this movie a lot. I think in some ways, it's it is in a weird way easier to throw on as kind of a background movie like in the sense that if die hard's on i'm kind of like watching die hard yeah, if die hard 2 is else. on i can sign a kind of second screen it or i could have been like as a kid doing whatever else but die hard 2 is on i remember distinctly it being a vacation morning movie i'd like wake up before everybody else in the house and i would go put on die hard 2 and just like chill and my dad would come in and be like are you watching die hard 2 again i'd be like yeah just a, I am. Just a light film of it with two plane crashes <laughs> exactly like just, just a sort One of, of Ease the into the morning. Horrifying sequences yeah, in we'll, movie we, history. We'll break that down. So yeah, I mean, let's talk about it right now. Um, some a lot of British people die in this movie, Phil. Well, <laughs> including my, Cole Meany. Cole Meany, yes, who's doing um, where, where the devil have you been? For, oh, like, God, his best Noel Coward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This Irish, like, amazing I love, character I love actor. that we managed to get a Noel Coward reference <laughs> into an action movie podcast, by the way. Renaissance, man. Indeed. Well, yeah, it, I, my theory about why they're Brits is that it's, like, it's close enough for Americans for them to feel, for an American audience to feel empathy, but far enough away that, well, they are only Brits, so we can get over it, you know? You're not the first person to claim that. I've heard people say, like, if it were Americans, it would be, like, weird. It, I mean, it's a little bit of a, a reverse patriotism choice or something like that. It's 
It's the British. It's like, and and they're comically British. I say with oh, respect, 100%. like the, the nervous Nelly grandma, we just the like little, little, little what school, did she say? little what? pip running around. Like <laughs> yes. there should be like a chimney sweep in the background, <laughs> just being like, I like it's it's preposterous. A- a- absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I I don't know that that sequence makes it into the movie now, especially in the way that it is in there. It is so extreme. Yeah, it 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 was a huge battle between Rennie Harlan and the studio, and you really? can understand why. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. do you think... They felt it was too much. I think we should get into this when we get into our action sec- sec- okay. sequence. But I, I, I wonder if it... Yeah, if maybe it goes too hard. I then wonder if it goes too hard. The debate, well, that's certainly what the studio felt. But Rennie Harlan felt very strongly that if they didn't do that, because there was actually a discussion about, well, what if it was a cargo plane? What if it was, it didn't have passengers? It's, they kind of make oh, their point. Oh, I don't point. think that would work. Yeah. And they, I think they actually shot or explored a version of it where they had it as a backup if it didn't test uh. well and that type of thing. But Rennie Harlan felt pretty strongly that like, no, we need to show these how serious these terrorists are so that there's real stakes to the movie and that we really feel like Bonnie Bedelia, um, Holly, Holly McLean and, and the other characters and the, are in serious legitimate peril, you know? Um, so that was his position. And I think, it, I mean, it is, mm. it's divisive, um, or do you say divisive? Americans? Do we say divisive? Like, I get. I think I. We used I to say divisive, and, so then our, and then a plane crashed. <laughs> right. Say divisive. Right. No, divisive, uh, divisive. I listen. I speak, hairs. We both speak the same language, <laughs> so it, it is. It is truly splitting hairs. Um, there's a lot. A lot of what you just said in terms of directorial intent and w- what Rennie Harlan was intending and what I receive as an audience member, I think is like the meat of this bones and where I think some of the, 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 the trouble gets into it. So I want, I think we should do, let's jump into our sequence anatomy of an action. Movie. All right. So let's we can do dig it. into all those things. So we were Phil, we're 13 minutes in and we haven't said what this movie's about. Do you so, want to do, do a quick sure. spiel? Yeah. So, well, our first um, tenant of, um, we live in a twilight world of, um, bless, bless, the, <laughs> bless, bless you. Of, um, of anatomy of an action movie is the premise. And this one has a corker because it's also the second tenet, which is the ticking clock. So, during a vicious snowstorm on Christmas Eve, terrorists take over Washington, D.C.'s dullest airport traffic control, meaning that the numerous planes in the sky will crash unless the terrorist demands are met. That's but, the premise. But, but, Phil, yes. what did they not count on? They didn't count on a certain John McClane. <gasps> He's back, baby. Who's smoking cigarettes in the airport lounge oh, like God. a boss. Oh, man. He's drinking a double whiskey. <laughs> I want to just parks, be at that table. He just table, parks man. his <laughs> car outside the airport. He's like, why am I getting towed? It's like, have you ever been to an airport before, John McClane? Anyways, John McClane's back. He's fighting terrorists in an airport. What else do you need to know? And he has just 90 minutes before the plane that his wife, Holly, is on runs out of fuel and falls from the sky. So in this instance, we've talked about some of the movies that have ticking clocks um, towards the third act, which is in the ca- which is the case with Die Hard. Some movies we've discussed don't have a ticking clock at all, right. like License to Kill. This one, the ticking clock is front and center to the whole premise. And even the book upon which it's based is called 58 Minutes. So it's a literal ticking clock. They, they give it a little shout out, actually. There's a point where Colonel Stewart says, um, a plane will be landing here in 58 minutes, FM1, foreign military one. Right. So they give the, the, the source material uh, a little bit of love there. Yeah, and it's, 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 it is a really strong device. Like, I mean, this movie, 
this movie, the, the, the 58 minutes, like we know, we understand always what we're heading towards, which Die Hard also has. And a lot of these movies we've talked about have, you know, I would say that like Hunt for Red October has a very clear ticking clock and License to Kill, is a, like all James Bond movies, is kind of a little bit of more of a vibe until maybe right. the last 20 minutes when all of a sudden like nuclear warheads are going to get launched right. or there's going to be a garden with poison. I don't know, whatever, whatever, whatever there happens to be in the movie. Um, I have to say, and I know the original is based on a book called Nothing Lasts Forever by yes. Roderick Thorpe, but this one, and I don't mean this badly really feels like I'm watching a movie based on like a book that I would buy at the airport. Before it's funny. I was just, off. as you said that I was just literally thinking this is the unironic definition of an airport thriller. Yes. In, in, <laughs> in every sense. Yeah. And I, I've, I read, uh, which is a great minutes. thing, by the way, you have read the book. I How read the, the book? book. The book is, is a, that's what it is. It's a solid airport thriller. It's pretty, pulpy it's pretty meat and potatoes yeah. like straightforward it, it's it, i i think it's well i think it's good i think it's an exciting page turning thriller it's definitely got a real dynamism did you read it. it recently yes okay yeah had you read it before no okay i read it i read it for this because i like to do my homework like a good boy <laughs> <laughs> i watched the movie twice so i feel good so does it does it differ is it is the character in it is not john totally McClane. different it's got okay. nothing to do literally so yeah the book is um the character is called frank malone he's an NYPD. good name I mean, even the name is pretty sort of generic stock yeah. kind Frank of says. Frank Malone. Frank Malone. Right. Uh, NYPD uh, captain, Harvard educated quarterback. It's very kind of like those types of tropes. It's like a dime store airplane, not poor yeah. novel in it, some it, ways. Yes, very much so. However, um, and and his, his, his daughter is, it's not, again, it's not. Uh, his wife, it's his daughter who's coming in on a cross-country flight. Got He's it, got divorced. It, got it, got it. The villain is called Willie Staub, who is a German terrorist, who is weirdly similar the to the Germans character. Again. Those bloody Germans. Uh, well, um, didn't they learn their <laughs> When we kicked their ass in yeah, World baby. War <laughs> WW2. As I mentioned before, my grandmother is German. I'm not and mocking we love Germans. Her. She's she's yeah. she's the best. So um, yeah, it it's um, the Willie Staub character, the antagonist, is weirdly similar to the character Anton Gruber that is in Nothing Lasts Forever. Uh. Who is a sort of uh, red brigade, like anti-imperialist, far left um, terrorist. That the characters are, are pretty similar, um, but Nothing Lasts Forever is a in my in my humble in my humble opinion is a far superior book it has more thematic resonance it has more socio-political um resonance it's, it's it's just better written it's a more muscular read this is a pretty kind of yeah breezy breezy piece of pulp yeah that's, that's but the only reason they they so they, they didn't keep a single scene from the book but it's all about the premise the premise is so strong it's a really good premise that the producers were like bought bought it 
intentionally because they could see this is a diehard type premise. And McLean plugged in perfectly to this character that was well, very McLean esque. That's what I was going to say. Uh, bring back the era of why don't we take this book that has a good premise and plug it in with like a relatable character that we already know, like have a relationship with. Like that's a great way to get, you know, forbid me, like IP. Like that's a smart move in terms of like. It's all about IP. It's all about it's IP, all about, baby. It's all about content. It's content, not about content, art. Content, content. <laughs> Jam our minds with content. No more cinema, only IP. Rest <laughs> in peace, John Luke Godard. That's what I think of when I was like, you know, I just when I want to become a writer, I just want to create some content based on IP. That's, That's what, what really been... inspired me <laughs> to pursue this I've been horrible journey dreaming in the artistic about. world. Yeah, woo! Good times. Uh, the best, the best of times. That's really interesting. So we have a book. We have a premise. But we've taken it and we've turned it into a Die Hard movie, which means our hero, which is category number two in our anatomy of an action movie. Tell us about who our hero is in this film. It's a gentleman by the name of John McClane. John McClane! Played by an actor named Bruce Willis. One of the greats. Now, I think it's worth just looking at, okay, how is he, how is he different from the first movie? Yes. What if we, we learn a couple of little details up top that's quite cleverly buried in the... Quite cleverly buried exposition in his argument with Vito, the the bureaucratic uh, airport traffic cop who's trying to give him a parking ticket. Merry Christmas! He, he kind of explains yeah. um, Joey's dad from Friends, who ne- only appeared in one episode. Oh, um, is he really? Yeah. Wow. Fun fact. Fun fact. Um, so, um, yeah, he turns up and, and, and when he's pleading with him to give him, you know, to let him off the ticket, we find out through the course of that conversation, he's now a cop in LA. Right. He has moved there. Um, kind he's of swallowed his with pride, his wife, right? Yep. You know, we talked about some of his chauvinistic tendencies in the first movie that were causing issues because he wouldn't admit that his, you know, his wife was doing better than right, him. Right, right, right. Um, now he's, he's a little less Neanderthalish and a yeah. lot, little less angry. And they have movie. a healthier marriage. Like the conversation yeah. on the on the phone implies like, the, the, the love is back, the spark is back, right. the romantic spark now, is back. Now, do you back. think this is one year later? Uh, yes. Like, it yeah. feels Obviously like it's, it's the next Christmas. Between the movies, but yeah. Um, and I, and, uh, and I, we should say that's uh, you, yeah, it's notable because he's semi-famous. People know who he yes. is. He's been on television. He's recognized by a reporter in the airport yep. before. He's had a brush with celebrities. He's had but, a brush with celebrities. But clearly celebrity. not embraced it because he's back doing, you know, he's gone back to p- he's police a work. He's, yeah. a, he's, he's a, doing, and, yeah. He's a police officer. Um, yeah. You know, I have to say there's, this, I, I texted you this question. We were texting the other night. I was like, what are sequels for? And you were like, money. And I was like, yeah, yeah but what are sequels for? And you were like, money. money. <laughs> Did you not hear and me the were, first no, time? <laughs> and you were wrong. But it's because like... There is no artistic justification. For, well, sorry, you finish your thought. Well, it's not even that because like I will return to... Like I've said to you before, like we were joking about content before. I would watch like... Uh, John McClane year one. Like, I would watch that show. I would watch John McClane's first year on The Force. I would watch a series of John McClane and the and the squad room that is in Die Hard of the Vengeance. Like, I love those characters. Like, I could vibe with, with a TV, like an eight-episode TV show of that. What I struggle with in this movie and what I think is makes him different here is, like, what are the stakes for John McClane? Now, it's very obvious that the stake is he has to, he wants to save his wife. But I think they're... The fact that he's happier and better off in this movie 
almost let, makes it a little less compelling because on some level I'm really, and I like, again, I like this movie, but John McClane is not the same character to me in this movie. And I, he sort of comes back around in Die Hard of the Vengeance, but in this he's film, less relatable, I suppose, as less yeah, flawed. Right. You know, he's almost, I, I mean, it starts with a relatable situation with the parking ticket, a situation right. that none of us would want to be in on, especially Christmas Eve, and it's his mother-in-law's car and the car's getting towed. Okay, that's relatable real world problems that are annoying, but he is a little, he's kind of perfect. His happiness is a little, uh, takes away a little bit of the like, my investment in him because and look this is to, to your credit coming up with the idea for this podcast wanting to dig in like i've been thinking about john mcclain as now more than i have in my life ever right so i felt a unique investment in him watching this movie and i was like you know which is weird to say because again there's a few things that are still true he's still dynamic to watch it's still bruce willis giving like arguably a top five action performance of all time in this movie. He's phenomenal in it. But like Absolutely. McLean, it just isn't as deep for me in this movie as as, as he has been. And I struggle with that and watching he, the movie. Um, it's somewhat evolving into McLean, I hate to say it, the brand or order. Yeah. And this is well, this was McTiernan's issue, you know, yeah. it was like this is becoming, the, you know, he is now becoming a superhero. Um, they did a teaser trailer, which was him running around corridors going, you know, the same, sh how can the same shit be happening to the same guy twice? Mm -hmm. We're going to get into the meta. Yeah, uh, I really want to talk about that. Stuff. I'm, I'm very intrigued. Well, should we talk about it now for a sec while we're on the... Yeah. Um... I mean, I think it speaks to this conversation about how he, we now have a self-aware, self... -aware, self some of the, some of McLean's self-referential... <laughs> He's like the Terminator. He's <laughs> self-aware. He... Obviously, there were things that we talked about in the first movie that were somewhat meta in the sense that he referenced Rambo. He referenced Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, the meta-ness was embedded but, into the first film, like by the character. I don't mean to interrupt, but like the, yeah, by the way, sure. the characters, like you felt it was part of the storytelling. And, but it was also to delineate him from the Rambos, from right. the Schwarzeneggers, from these indestructible um, action heroes that were in vogue at the time in the 80s. This is what made Die Hard distinct and fresh. This was a regular guy who wasn't a superhero. Now in Die Hard 2, he is becoming uh, more of a superhero who is more invulnerable and they lean heavily on the how can the same shit happen to the same guy twice coincidence, which right. is like pretty unlikely so they just own it and wink, almost wink at the camera which i think is good i, I totally yeah i don't have a problem with that i think what's interesting is it, it as a result it is not as like dynamic and funny as it was in the original and it like you don't feel he's in peril particularly right, either yeah, you, i don't he's think. gonna make not, it in it's the first sequel. movie we talked about the scene where it, he believed he's it's probably bruce willis's one of his finest pieces of acting ever and certainly in die hard is when he calls al powell when all seems lost starting to get a bad feeling in here. and, and yeah. it really you really do believe maybe he could die in yeah. this movie if you're watching it the first time you know in, in that context but he's so good you believe it the 10th time he's such a good actor that yeah. you you get you get lost in it and there's a Ironically, a little bit of detachment in this one because it's the second one. How can the same shit happen to the same guy kind of thing? It even ends with the Holly that he does in the first movie, except this time it's trying to track her down, you know, in terms of... Oh, no, in the first movie, it's Hans, right? It has something similar, a similar kind of thing that it... I think it's also worth noting to the point, what to, to build on your point that... Bruce, in the first movie, we have to remember Bruce Willis was a essentially considered a comedic 
actor. He was an yeah. actor that became a movie star. By Die Hard 2, he is a full-on huge movie star. There is a difference in terms of the character. Right. Now, now, this isn't an actor that is somewhat of a surprising unknown yeah. um, that ha can do the action and is funny and has the New Jersey wise-ass thing and it, it's really fresh. Now it's like Bruce Willis Incorporated, right? That's this, a very you know good what point. I mean? you know, yeah, and that's no, not to not to knock him because I couldn't be a bigger Bruce Willis fan. It's I just a obviously I couldn't context. be a bigger. Yeah, it's a it's different, different cultural context, context yeah. in which this movie came out, which is and smart. it's adjusted. It's adjusted to that new reality, right? And I think another point that you're making that's really interesting is that this movie is now thirty two years old. Which is, I know, <laughs> we're both oh, like, dear. Oh, man. <laughs> just sobered me. Uh, <laughs> which is to say, me right which is to say that it is hard to evaluate it on its own terms anymore, right? Like, we have the original, it's, it's, it is not, the Die Hard, the original in 1990 is not the stone cold classic that it is now. So, like, Oh, that movie did well. well. Can you imagine if this movie came out like last week, we would all be saying, this is the best action movie oh, I've, I've seen yep. in 20. 20 uh -huh. years. And, oh yeah, for sure. You know, that's what I mean about like, there's two ways to look at the movie right. as, a, as a sequel or on its own terms. And it is, it is very much in the spirit of, and I would say that in a lot of ways, McLean is the same. Yes. I mean, he still has a lot of the, the, the traits that we loved about the character. He has no time or respect for bureaucracy. Uh, he has a strong anti-authoritarian streak. He's kind of anti-cop. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's kind of just like, Fuck you guys. Even though he is a cop, like he can't tolerate the rank and file bull, or not the bull, the more the bureaucratic ridiculousness of Dennis Franz's uh, absolutely character. Yeah, who is like the that. kind of the evolution of I guess the um, um, the uh, Dwayne, Dwayne, Dwayne T. Robinson, Dwayne T. Robinson type right. character who is a sort of clueless um, rule following. Uh, bureaucrat. There are characters in this that feel like mirrors or shades of characters in the original. Um, he's he yeah he's he's also pretty like he's also still the relentless John McClane that he has been in every other movie. You know he he like and and in this one he's even more persistent. He's like I have to get out into the field before this British flight crashes and like you know he's he's he really pushes it in this. You movie. might even say he dies hard oh or you might even say he dies harder than he did the last time that's why we get paid the big bucks Look. folks <laughs> for incredible hot takes you're like getting that. this for free okay uh it's uh i think it's it's worth wrapping it up by saying that uh john mcclain is a legend bruce willis is a legend in this movie and i have next to no i have i love him i love this performance uh he weirdly is more charismatic than he is even in the original. And maybe that is a nice flip factor to like, maybe John McClane's a little happy with his life this time because he's funny and charismatic and, and he's such a movie star. And I think said. as well, he was very conscious of like from the, from the research I've done about the production of keeping the things that, you know, obviously he has a very strong take on this character. He created this character to, to a large extent, um, and he he knew what made McLean McLean. Yes. Sounds an obvious thing, but there are things like the, the sense of humor, his attitude. He has that gallows humor. Even around corpses, he has a, the gallows humor that cops yes. have. You know, where they're not phased by it. They see they they kind of embrace the grotesque nature of dealing with with death. All these little kind of touches that just make him feel completely authentic and centered and unique. This unique fusion of actor and character that is so iconic. Well, and one thing that I think that 
Bruce Willis does, which makes him a great actor, especially on, on screen, you can see him thinking. You can see him reasoning things out. You know, one of my favorite acting moments in this is a very small one where he first sees the three dudes who are sitting at the bar and he watches one of them kick yes. a package under the table to the other. And every time you're reminded, particularly in the first three films, that John McClane is a detective and not just like a beat cop or whatever you want to say, like you're like, oh, this is a piercingly intelligent guy. And I like, I like how the, I like that Willis and by extension McTiernan and Harlan and the whole team realize like we have to make this guy the smartest guy in the room. He needs to be ahead of everybody. And this movie leans into that. And I kind of forgot how well it leans into. McLean knows what's going to happen. Knows something is going to happen before anybody else does. And you can see it play in in Bruce Willis's eyes and it's 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 it makes him a very much more dynamic character than I think he might be in the hands of a of a of a lesser actor. Yes, agreed. Agreed. Now let's talk about the villains. Yes, cannot wait. Okay. So there's too many villains, <laughs> arguably, in this Not movie. Not enough. Let's, let's, let's list them real quick. Colonel Stewart, mm-hmm. played by the great William Sadler. The amazing Bill and Ted I'm going to be... <laughs> I'm going to be gushing about William Sadler like you would not believe. I think he... I love him. I've always loved him. And I think he is fan-fucking-tastic in this movie. And I'll tell you why. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You've been get, He's inherited the impossible yes. task of uh, playing a villain after Alan Rickman have the played goat. The, greatest the goat, goat. Gruber the goat. Yeah. Like Unbelievable. the greatest villain in action movie history, arguably the greatest villain in movie history, period. That is an impossible task. It's impossible. So let's, for me, it's almost, and he would acknowledge that himself. And he even, he's spoken about this on the record and said, look, I, what Alan Rickman did in the first movie was incredible. This was such a daunting task. On the other yeah. hand, he was a relatively, um, you know, young actor in the sense of his, certainly a sense of his movie career. He'd, he'd done a lot of television in the, yeah, how many in the films 80s. had he been in before this? Not a, not a, not a ton at okay. that point. Like he had done, he had done some, but he'd mainly done a lot of 
TV. He'd done a show called Private Eye that lasted for like a season that was by the creator of um, oh, Miami yeah. Vice. Yeah. Anthony Yurkovich. Yeah. I remember um, that show. I don't remember watching it, but I remember it existing. It, it, I think it just lasted the one season sort of an LA neo-noir, I believe. But he got this part, interestingly, because he was in an episode of Tales from the Crypt that Joel Silver produced. produced. And it's a I've watched I've watched it and it's it's really really interesting as the sort of progenitor of this of this character to see why he was cast because he plays an executioner who falls on hard times because the state changes the law and he's suddenly out of work and he loves his job <laughs> and he's really passionate about it so he like tries to find criminals who've fallen through the justice system cracks to go and kill and then he gets caught and they they change the law back and then he ends up at the end, spoiler alert, being executed wow. himself. That's a great Tales from the Crypt concept episode. It's an episode. It's, it's pretty short. You can find it on YouTube if you're okay. curious, but you see some of the dark humor and uh, this sort of, uh, the, the swagger and the, the just what, it, it's, it's an interesting, um, you know, precursor to the skills that I think served him, served him well. So this is an interest, in Die Hard 2, this is an interesting character um in that unlike in the first movie he's american he's like he's a nixonian far-right fascistic yeah um you know kind of a, a scary ultra military machine like character i wrote down know, in my in notes a, that he's a little bit of the t-1000 of who, of course, features also Ooh, features Robert Patrick is also in this features, film, features right. in the movie. Um, yes, I think that's very true. You know, and we meet him, of course, in this very striking moment where he is practicing martial arts naked in the hotel room. Um, and I think uh, this is a mistake to introduce the character. This I, way. I, th I don't. Oh, I, 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 I mean, I love it. Well, maybe mistake. Very is bold. Strong. It is bold, but it it it's always played to me as very strange, but. So let me, let me, so my, I watched this movie twice, as I told you. And the first time I watched it, I, I was like, okay, like I, I hadn't watched it in maybe a decade, maybe a little, actually, no, I watched it like two years ago, just for fun. But I, I had, again, I was not at that point co-hosting a, a diehard podcast. So I was sort of just had it on. Um, and I was like, oof, I don't know. I don't know about this one. There's something here that's not quite clicking for me. But then I couldn't stop thinking about it, so I watched it again. And a big thing that wasn't clicking for me was William Sadler. I was like, I don't... It's, he's very stiff. He's very sort of one... little, Not one-dimensional, but I was like, I never feel as though I'm in the presence of a real human being. Then I rewatched it. And I was like, okay... He's trying to do something very different from what Alan Rickman did. It's a very, very different part from what Alan Rickman did. And I think that if I have... It's humorless. It's humorless. and I By that, design. That might be a problem for me a little bit. Like, I, I kind of wanted to, like... Like, the moment where he and McLean bump into each other, and McLean goes, like, oh, you look familiar. I've seen your son before. And he goes, yeah, I get that a lot. I've been on TV. There's like there's a little bit of humanity in that moment that is that is not there for the rest of the character, and I I found it sort of dynamic and 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 I guess I just I well, I've seen William Sadler in things like Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Well, yeah, he's actually a great Shawshank Redemption. Actor, yeah, and, and can bring a lot of heart. And I and so I I think I just I I struggle with the character. I don't struggle with the actor. I don't struggle with the performance. I I totally get what he's doing. I just. I missed Hans Gruber 
Maybe that's the best way to think about it. I missed Hans Gruber. I look. Of course, yes. You, it, it, he has inherited somewhat of an imp- impossible task. But again, I would say, taken on its own terms, I think I think you have you can't just do a Gruber imitation because you you, you he, You're right. I think he's right in such, you have to do something that was almost the complete opposite. And what I think is interesting about this character, it, and and it speaks to the opening scene because this is a and this is a, he's a theater trained actor who therefore you're using your whole body, your whole physicality yes. to imbue the attitude the sensibility um you know the 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 raison d'etre of this character and this character is a military machine he Mm. is precise he is focused he is minimalistic in everything that he does he is very direct all of those things i think are embodied in what he's doing in the opening scene and I, he, there is no like second life to this character. We don't know that he has uh, a wife, uh, a family, or, because I think he's married to the military. The military was taken away from him, and you now have a machine that is. This is what he's been built to do. He is a war machine. So, and he yeah. is going to. He's now going to declare war on the country that has rendered him surplus to requirements. And I think it's a fan fucking fantastic performance by a fan fucking tastic actor well you can't argue with that folks here's what i will say i think and this this is not is not original thought actually our producer mike mayer brought this up as he was like i think there's a more successful version of this character and it's ed harris's character in the rock which is an interesting point of comparison um now the ed harris in the rock is it's one of the, it's a that's an old time it's an a, hall of fame i mean that he, that's a great movie. I, we haven't actually talked to, well, we have we'll talked to we'll, we'll I'm a big fan. I'll just say that. I, I couldn't be a bigger fan. I think fan. it's tremendous. I think it's a tremendous movie. I that's think a, part that's of That's an interesting point about Ed Harris. Why it's so tremendous is because of the Ed Harris character. Because you feel motivated. You feel that his, he's right. That's one of the things that makes The Rock a great movie is that Ed Harris's character is right. You might not agree with his actions and how he does things, but it's like hard to deny what he's fighting for in that movie. The, now, again, this is a different movie made by a different filmmaker made beforehand, whatever the case is. I think that, and I think you're right. I just largely was kind of like, oh, it's kind of a bummer. Now, we should say... There are three major villains in this movie. One is the aforementioned Colonel Stewart, played by William Sadler. But he is working to free General Ramon Esperanza, played by Franco Nero, who is the dictator, dict- dictatorial sort of leader Nor- of Noriega. Noriega character. Yeah. Figure. Corrupt uh, military general. Who has sort of purged his country of communists. Or yeah. communistic it, forces. It's a little. This whole thing is a little fuzzy, but I watched it multiple times with the subtitles to make sure that I did understand what the uh, foundation was for this. And what I can gather is he was a right wing general in the yeah in the in the fictional Republic of Valverde, um, and was expunging the communist threat whatever well the communist uh, you know uh, insurgents with the support of u.s military and advisors at some point there was some there was a policy change they decided not to support to support him, him against to fight the communist insurgents anymore so he made up for that income by 
going into the drug trade. Yeah, selling cocaine. So this is, in terms of the socio-political influences, there's a number of things converging. There's there's Noriega, there's Iran-Contra. There's Oliver North, and there's, right. the, there's the Oliver North thing, who I think some Curlin Stewart was largely, you know, was an extrapolation of Oliver North. And then there's the war on drugs, which is even directly mentioned by the reporter character. She said, this is the first, uh, you know, victory for the war on the war on drugs, which was, uh, you know, prevalent in the culture at that time. Yeah, and it, it's also, also interesting to to for the villain to be especially when you consider like all of history from like 1950 on in terms of like the idea of purging communists or what that means like there's some dark undercurrents to well, what a, this movie is there's one line in particular that's pretty, was pretty inflammatory and interesting which to that point which is when the reporter um Samantha Coleman um tr- spots Colonel Stewart at the airport and says can I can I have a word and he, and he says the amazing pretty amazing line you can have two Fuck fucking and you, you. <laughs> how can you not love no, this character no that's a truly great line that's then a great line then the other guy says no pictures you pinko bitch right and that is not a, that to me was like i've got who these guys are now yeah that's true in one line, in one word. That is not a word you hear. That is rooted in the 50s, in McCarthyism, in yeah. ultra right-wing extremism. That's not a word I don't think was bandied around a lot in the 90s. But these guys, were. that to me says this is a certain type of hard right, mercenary, extreme, um, you know. It feels, uh, it feels very... It's terrifying. I mean, it's just, I, yeah, yeah it's, it's, the it's, word itself is scary. Yeah, it is. Scary. Especially, it's used in this misogynistic way as a smackdown on a journalist. journalist. And the other point, just, just, just one last point, I wanted to make that connects to this. Yeah. With Colonel Stewart, and then I want to just take a step back. But Colonel Stewart has one line that I think is particularly chilling in light of current events, where he says, "Quoting Cardinal Richelieu, treason is merely a matter of dates." That's a pretty chilling. So <laughs> yeah. this stuff really does have resonance. The idea yeah. of far right fascistic guys. They're all white. They're all basically hardline neoconservatives. It's quite interesting, I think, for a film made in 1990 by Fox has a cast of large, with the exception of Von de Curtis Hall, who plays who's Miller, great. who's, who's great. always great. great. Um, essentially, a bunch of white neocons are the villains in a movie about terrorism made in 1990. If you think, you know, that wow, was... Wow, yeah. I think that's just worth No, worth I noting. think so. And I think that what you're doing, what you're, what you're raising for me is I think I've struggled to find a lot of substance in this movie. One thing that I will say very positively about this movie, it flies, it cooks. Like, you're eight minutes in and McLean is killing a guy at a, in, a, in a luggage, you know, like in the luggage room by shoving him underneath the thing that crushes the bags down. Like it is no joke. Solid death. And I think that I hadn't really considered like that. There are socio-political resonances to, to what it, what it's doing. And in a way, if you're going to portray a character like Colonel Stewart, you know, a disgraced general, a pissed off general, a general who's kind of like decided that the, 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 the ideals of democracy are no longer in the interest of what he cares about. He should probably be socio- sociopathic and, and a little bit insane. Uh, he is scary. Like, there's no question. Yeah. And there's, like, clearly... a And and one thing that's interesting that you've said um, is that there's no um, interiority. Like, or there... It's not that there's no interiority. There's no internal life or there's no life outside of my... That makes him scarier yeah. to me. Yeah. You know, that makes him... But do we know anything about Hans Gruber? 
you know, do we know anything about him beyond well, like, I think his personal makes, life? Right. I don't. I, I don't think it's a prerequisite. It's about like uh, sure in the in the instance of the Ed Harris character that you cite, we do know like he's right. a he's a widower. Uh, well, he's it, the first it, character it, we meet in the movie too, which I think is essential. Yeah, I mean, and The Rock is a masterpiece for for a myriad of, of reasons. This is a different type of movie right. made, you know, made slightly slightly earlier. But I don't think it's a prerequisite. I don't always need to know about this character's interior life it's not relevant this is a war machine well yeah um, and one of the things that Rennie Harlan said that I think was really is worth noting is he said the more powerful your villain is the more powerful your hero has to be and 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 inevitably is so I think because Colonel Stewart and the other thing that's worth saying about Colonel Stewart is that he's the one foe that um McLean faces in all the Die Hard movies that it, the main villain who is a physical match and is in fact physically superior to McLean and actually beats him uh, on the on the in their fight on the plane. You know, we talked about last time how Hans Gruber is the is an intellectual and he's ruthless. Right. But if he doesn't have a gun in his hand, McLean is kicking his ass. You right. Know? Um, this is not that. Same with Stewart. Same with um... Colonel Stewart is kicking. Does can and does kick McLean's ass. Yeah, he does. You that's know? true. So I, I, anyway, I, I'm I'm all in on. Well, I'm all in I think, on I think what's Stewart. interesting about what you've just said, though, is that um, you know when when we talked about Die Hard, my favorite villain is Hans Gruber, but I think the character that interests me the most in Die Hard as a, in a villain is Carl. Mm -hmm. We talked about how Carl is steely. He knows how to move. He's played by a dancer. He has this kind of like way of that's always in control and except when he's not in control like when his brother is killed and what i love about bruce willis mclean in that film is he's always he's a frenetic always moving around trying to stay alive there's an interesting contrast in this movie too where mclean is all personal life he's at the airport picking mm. up his wife with whom he's no longer estranged he's calling her on the phone and being like honey he's there his mission in this movie is like save my wife save everybody so that i can save my wife like not that the original didn't have that but there is not the tension that exists between him and Holly, as it existed in the first film. We know a lot about john mcclain in this movie we have a whole movie of backstory stewart shows up and he's just an ice king. We know nothing about him. And I think that that's an, it's sort of an interesting contrast with the way that we think about how Carl did things in the first movie, how McLean did them. And now we have two characters, one whom we have a rich relationship with and the other that we're like, well, my, this guy's I, I, a spook. And my counter to that as well is uh, th I think villain Hero and villain should have some kind of um, you know, contract. Yes, yeah. you know, we, it, Batman and the Joker, right? Well, it's a, the Joker, the Dark Knight Joker, is a great point of comparison for this. You always want, I think, fire and ice to some yeah. extent. You need you need warmth and coldness. And McLean is warm. He he's driven by heart. And this guy is the total opposite. As you said, he's sort of he's just he's just ice in his veins. He yeah. is purely about the mission. And to me, I think that is a very authentic. Um, character yeah. you know for i i, I think, think it's I'm very coming around scary. a little bit on uh yeah. on your uh, on your <laughs> no i think that's good um of course there's one more um and they yes worth note they, they unlike the first film which i you know you have gruber and then you have his henchman this has three villains so we also um, have ramon esperanza played by franco nero who's not in the film all that much he's only in it for maybe 15 20 minutes he has only a few lines of dialogue um he does dispatch a, a, a guard, a guard uh, carrying him on the plane. Um, but it's not, 
it's weirdly not a hugely important part of the movie, his role. He's kind of like the, he's kind of there to, to be carted around and protected by Colonel Stewart once he gets on the ground, right? Yeah, he's more, he's more of a plot device than a character, I yeah. think, you know? The other, the other villain that I'm, I think is more interesting is, is Major Grant, played by the John Amos. John Amos. What's your favorite John Amos performance? Um, coming to America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, this is good. He's good. He's yeah. John Amos is great in Lock Up, which is an underrated, underappreciated Sylvester Stallone movie that weirdly we're not all talking about. We should we should probably just do a side episode on Lock Up. Lock Up we podcast. Talk about Sylvester's Lock Still- Up podcast. Stallone prison movie podcast. Actually, prison movie podcast. Prison movie podcast. Prison movie podcast. Copyright and owned by. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We own it. It's ours. Um, Amos is the most relatable of the villains. He's a military guy, but he has a sense of humor. He's funny. And you don't know he's a villain until three-fourths of the way into the film. Yeah. It's it's an interesting... I mean, He's been radicalized by Stewart. Yes. And speaking to your point about McLean, though, and his sort of detective nose, if you like, when Major Grant and his unit, Blue Light, show up... Um, McLean says, do things just get worse or better? And because again, mm. he has, maybe he has that kind of spidey sense that like, I don't know this guy's vibe. Like I, there's something about it. I can't quite put my finger on Two, I think he's generally suspicious of, uh, military action and like the SWAT, they're not a SWAT team, but it's that type of gung ho, let's go in guns blazing kind of thing. Like the SWAT team, like in, in the, the SWAT first team film. in the first yeah. movie when the SWAT assault is, it's like brute, brute force with that kind of gung ho, let's kick some ass, you know, with the American flag flying behind us. That type of attitude, I think McLean is inherently suspicious of. Totally. You know, and they kind of embody that to some extent. And so he's, by the he's end, he's not he, sure about that. Right before he sort of re- realizes that Amos, and I should say um, uh, Major Grant, is a villain, he sort of begins to like the guy. He's, yeah. because, because So we, we have not mentioned the cadre of supporting actors in this film, so I Which feel like we brings should... brings me re- to my favorite game and my favorite question okay. I like to ask oh, please, Liam please. Billingham, yes. uh, Esquire. Who's your favorite terrorist? MFA. Who's um, your favorite terrorist? Who's your favorite terrorist? My favorite... So the, the options are... Let me go through the list real quick. Miller, played by Vondi Curtis Hall. Baker, the one who shoots the old man in the church. He sucks. Played by <laughs> Tony Ganios. Burke, played by the great future star of Executive Decision. Yep. Which is such a good movie. Yep. John Leguizamo. Sheldon, played by Mick Cunningham. Got to be honest, I don't really remember him. He got crushed. Those are the sort of minor death. figures. We also have O'Reilly, played by Robert Patrick. Have you seen this boy? Oswald Cochran, played by Joe Costello. Who sounds like a he should be is a Batman villain with a name (laughs) like that. I just love that. It's Oswald Cochran. (laughs) Oswald Cochran. Garber, played by Don Harvey, Major Grant, Ramon Esperanza, William Stewart, uh, by played by the previously mentioned William Sadler. I'm going Did we mention Sadler? I'm not sure we talked about him. Yeah, did he come up? (laughs) I don't remember. I have oof, this is a tough one. Might start chanting Sadler. 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 Where he's somewhere in Sherman Oaks right now. He's like, the, Str- the, the Sadler. I just love him. I think he's fantastic. He's great. Um, That's a tough one. I think I have to go with Oswald Cochran. And the nice. reason I kind of want to go with Oswald Cochran is, is I, mustache. I like the mustache. I'm Rocks a mustache a guy. Also, he 
He's kind of funny and he has personality and I think that's great. I I it's I got to be honest. For me, there's a little bit of slim pickings in this one. I'm not as uh, drawn to any of these characters as I was in say the original Die Hard. But they're all great. And and I actually think my favorite characters in this movie are the supporting characters, the supporting players, the folks who are on McLean's side whether they know it or not. And there's a few that I'd like to mention if you'll if you'll have if you'll please, have me. Please, for the record, my favorite is Robert, oh, Robert Patrick so... as O'Reilly. Interesting. Just because I think he does hey, a lot with a little. What do I look like to you? A sitting duck. That rules. That's so good. That's like and next step, I'm Termin. I'm fucking T one thousand. One line, one line got yeah. him the, one of the most iconic, iconic movie parts. villains. That's ever. a really good point. Uh, the the folks that I feel like I should mention because they're so great in this movie are uh, the great Fred Dalton Thompson. Uh, recently FDT, of, uh, me 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 me. <laughs> FDT alert. <laughs> Sheila McCarthy is Samantha Coleman. She's wonderful in this movie, but I would be remiss. If I did not mention Dennis Franz. Oh, yes. As Carmine Lorenzo in the movie's absolutely most annoying worst <laughs> part. Like, just unbearable the in this worst. Film. But he's phenomenal in it. He He's so, so good. I love Dennis Franz. Um, I like that you have sort of on McLean's side, you know, there's there's more allies in this movie than there are in the original Die Hard. In the original, he kind of has to deal with Agent Johnson, Special Agent Johnson. He has to deal with uh, Dwayne T. Robinson. He has to deal with a lot of dicks. And kind of the only person on his side in that movie is Al, Al, Al Powell. In this movie, I really appreciate... Fred. First of all, Fred Dalton Thompson is the great, like, thinking man's figure in all these movies. Like, he's this and Hunt for October, you just kind of feel like you're watching a guy who's sort of like really parsing through everything and making decisions. He plays the, uh, the sort of the chief of the Yeah, he's airport. the air traffic control director. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so he trusts McLean, but he's suspicious of McLean. Yeah. There's a really... It's very realistic. It's very like, realistic. He's not a cartoon. You believe him in a role with that kind of crazy high yeah. pressure responsibility. Um, yeah. He, he's he, level-headed. Yeah. And, and I, there's a moment in where he and after John Amos's sort of uh, Major Grant's troops arrive, they all go off to a briefing and McLean tries to get on the elevator and he's stopped by some dick yeah. in a suit. And um, Fred Dalton, he, uh, the guy says, no civilians. And Bruce Willis and Fred Dalton Thompson share and change a look. And you're like, these guys are on the same page. And they're both good enough actors that you, that you know exactly what it's about. He's like, there's nothing, nothing I can do here. Um, and so I, I think he's wonderful. Dennis Franz, God bless him, absolutely obnoxious character. But by the end, like, comes around, is on the right side of things, and rips up McLean's uh, Indeed. parking ticket. Indeed. You know? So how do you, on that point about the supporting characters and the allies, I wanted to ask your feelings about the character of Marvin, the janitor. Oh, played, played by, by the Tom, great Tom Bauer. Tom Bauer. Um We'll get it. Maybe we'll talk about him in the humor, but why not? Um, I don't think it's an entirely successful character. I think the corollary in the original is in some ways Al Powell, but I thought more of Argyle. Yes. Because he literally chauffeurs him away at the end. Yeah. Um, in, the, in, in an echo of the first, the first movie. It's, this movie has a weird tonal thing going on in it. I'll, I'll tell you why yeah. 
my theory on what may be going on with the Marvin character. Now, I want to say as well, Tom Bauer, I think, is a fantastic Amazing actor, fantastic character actor, particularly like he played Richard Nixon's father in All the Stones, Nixon, uh, um, where he he's, has a really excellent performance also, as a strict Quaker. Um, and he's he's been he's one of those faces. The negotiator. He has a great scene in that at the beginning. Good, good another diehard in good a movie. police station. Also, scenario. a big theater actor, like an important part of the American theater. Great, world. great character yeah. actor. Yeah. Now what? I, but I have the same thing where I'm like, I don't know about this character, and I really had a hard time with like a couple of his lines. One where he says. Um, where did you come from? Pearl Harbor? Um, like, okay, random. Um, then later he says, like, it, just like Iwo Jima. Yeah. And it's like there's two that are both about the Pacific World War II conflict. Huh. What, why, isn't there a th why isn't there a third? And what's Iwo Jima? What's all this going on? Anyway, so I looked into this. There's a, he had a whole subplot that was cut out where you learn, check this. He is homeless and living in the airport tunnel there's a scene where mclean goes mm. in there and it kind of makes sense right you see the records he's like a little too cozy down there he has like vinyl as in vinyl records that play and yeah. stuff and blah 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 blah. he's quite pretty cozy down there but there's a whole deleted scene where mclean goes in susses out his living situation says do they know that you're living here they have a whole dialogue you learn that he is, was a pacific war veteran right he's been married six times which was really unbelievable and he's sort of Weird. just this misshapen character that and they cut it out and, I, and they were totally right to do so because mclean wouldn't in my opinion would never like he kind of he kind of coerces him to be like i'll if if you help me with this like problem i've got I won't rat you out to the to like the airport police or whatever that you're living here, and I just don't believe that McLean would. He's not. He's like friend to the working man. He's he is a blue collar guy himself. He wouldn't hold that over somebody. He would be compassionate to this guy. So basically, there's a, he had this whole subplot huh. about him being a Pacific War veteran. Hence these references and the Iwo Jima thing is about the tunnel system, which was relevant to that conflict and how the you know he's trying to use the tunnels to navigate and there's right there's a sort of indiana jones s sequence that was cut out where he has to walk across a, a like a high beam and it's all very Did they shoot it yeah yeah this is actually on the blu-ray they're deleted scenes. oh okay so you, if you're curious about this you can you can find it but it, it, it to be honest it, it's it's well placed on the cutting room floor that's but so it, fascinating because he's kind of a weirdo eccentric yeah, character. Yeah, and it makes to be honest the, the iwo jima stuff it's sort of a little bit rah rah like this is uncomfortable to me yeah. that like in this situation where, where it just didn't, it didn't sit right. It sounds like it makes a lot of sense that they cut it. So, but we're left with the remnants of a misshapen character that didn't quite work, despite the best efforts of a wonderful character actor. And I think he has a great line at the end where he, he says like, I'll be damned if I'll be cleaning this mess up, you know, cause he's the janitor and yada yada. But, um, it is a bit of a misfire, um, of a of a of a character. Yeah. And it, it it if we could take 2 minutes on Rennie Harlan, I think this is a nice moment to do it. Uh Rennie Harlan made one of a few of the great, truly great action films. Um Cliffhanger, absolute banger of a movie. Um also oh, it was a great debt to um uh to Die Hard, I think particularly Definitely John one one that we'll be covering. Yeah. Um The Long Kiss Goodnight, which is just a 
uh, incre- I don't uh, weirdly slept on action movie unless I you unless if you know you know if you know movie. you know. Oh, I love it! I think it's phenomenal. I think it's great. Craig Bierko. Craig Bierko. Rushing. Uh, Gina Davis, just unbelievable. It's Ama- yeah. A, yeah, it's an amazing it's movie. Killer. But I think there, this is. I could never see Rennie Harlan directing Die Hard. That is a John McTiernan movie. There's, and I bring that up to say that like he directed the right Die Hard for Rennie Harlan. This is the, Here, what, slightly, here's what I'll say to that yeah. point that that I, in 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 a way that is better articulated than I could myself. Stephen E. D'Souza said, and this is potentially like the biggest backhanded compliment. Yeah. He said, Rennie Harlan is a great shooter. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting turn of phrase. And I think that is kind of on point. You know, I don't think... I I like Rennie Harlan a lot. He's made a bunch of movies I love. He knows how to direct action. Well, he's a real journeyman filmmaker, you know? But but McTiernan is more of an artist. He's a vision... There's more theme. There is. There's all these other ver, ver, reverberating wavelengths with the Shakespeare of it yeah. and, and the Midsummer Night's Dream of the original movie and how that was his secret melody and the right. symphonic nature of it and the Beethoven. And that's really intellectually you know. stimulating. And I don't think that's the goal of this movie. And no. I and I don't. I'm, that's why I said this movie is about money. It movie- doesn't mean that it's not made by amazing like you know right. people and that it's not. A fa- but it, this is an entertaining movie that's a summer movie it's a summer blockbuster it, 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 and it's made in response to something that was very successful and it the design of it is you you want some more of what made the first movie right work and yeah. you like that you want here you go it's great <laughs> and i just think it's that not if, reinventing the wheel in the is, way the first movie did it is interesting that and you know as you've you've you've, you've made clear like some of this is a result of editing choices and stuff like this but there's something strange about a movie that at and one turn seems to be like i want to show that these guys are psychos so i'm going to stage one of the most harrowing plane crashes in history and also it's just like iwo jima like the fact yeah. that those two things exist in the same movie there's like a little bit of a tonal disparity there um and i it, it's i sometimes wonder if like in a way the movie i don't i don't think this is true of anyone who made the movie but if sometimes the movie's trying to have its cake and eat it too like we want to maybe they're not they're, they're, i don't know that they're making a statement but they are using terrifying fascistic neocons as like the villains and that's scary i just think that's like worth noting that's it, it I, I don't know that anybody is trying to make a right. political statement i don't think they are film by you know necessity but any piece of art is inherently political it's all a sliding scale but you know you can't make any piece of art without how it, it, it is inevitably imbued with some kind of right um, you know it it, it can't be Nothing is absent of it. Just, well, it's just all context. It it it's all you, context. You know, we're. But I don't yeah. think the. I don't think anybody is striving to. But this is a political statement. No, about, but it, exactly you know, the post Reagan uh, American no. establishment. Yada yada. And I and I, I think that that's interesting because I think action movies are political. But I, but like I think the the best the best action movies are the ones that sort of take all this stuff. Uh, and reflect it back at us. So it makes us think about it, but it's not necessarily going like. This, these are the politics that we have in this film. That's not the intention of it, right? But to come back to the original point, there's just a bit of a tonal weirdness to the movie. And, and I, 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 it would be, let me put it this way, and I don't mean this is good or bad. 
um, it would be different if it were a McTiernan movie. And I'm, I'm very, very excited to talk about Dire to the Vengeance because that movie straddles a line of yes. sequel, dump, sequel, sequel energy. And like, let's, let's do some very, very smart, very, very sophisticated movie things. Movie things. I'm allowed to talk on <laughs> movie a podcast. Things. Or, 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 yeah. I mean, Dire of the Vengeance is just such a fascinating, fascinating uh, threequel. Well, while while we're on the subject of Rennie Harlan, this leads us to the action section. Thank you, yes. And, and in Rennie Harlan's defense, I think there are certainly two sensational action sequences um, in this movie. And, and one there are three. particularly... Let's yeah, let, yeah. Well, let's let's break him down. But I think the, there's one shot that he fought for Ugh. tooth and nail. You probably know which one it is. Can I guess? Please. It is the shot from above, looking down when the general's plane explodes as McLean gets flies out in the ejector seat, flies in the air, gets extremely close to the camera, and then pulls the parachute. Exactly. On the ground. I exactly. mean, that's the most iconic shot in the exactly. movie. Exactly. And he fought for that shot, and that was something that that you know other people, the, the studio, and the I feel like I stole your thunder. The, not sorry. at all. <laughs> okay. No, not at all. You stole my lightning. <laughs> Ooh. Um, it is. No, it's no, more not like, at all. It's, it's no, no. A, it is. Uh, the, the, there are two really iconic shots in Die Hard history. One is McLean jumping off the roof. And the other, I think, is this. Also, Gruber's death, I would say, is pretty, yes, I- that's pr- true. pretty iconic. But, but I guess one's in terms of McLean, McLean yes, yeah. yeah. But, and and I think that is important to note that Rennie, that that is again, he's a great shooter. But that is a that is the shot you remember. And I didn't even have to. You could have picked any shot in the movie, but that is the one. It illustrated. It illustrates my point. So Rennie Harlan, you know, like that is worth noting that he designed and shot one of the most striking it's images. It's an, it is the it is the moment that we remember. It's what? he said it was one of those things as well where it was like it was like when you tell a great joke and you nail the punchline and the audience like uh, you know the audience laugh. He said this was the equivalent in action movie terms because audiences burst into applause at that shot during all the test screenings. And he knew he had nailed it. So shout out to Rennie. And, you know, if I can, like, get on a soapbox for a second here. Please. There's something about movies made before the predominance of digital effects. Like, I don't... The first time I saw Jurassic Park and the dinosaur moved, I was like, holy shit. Like, that is really happening. And I think something that when you watch earlier films is that you see a, 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 a sort of impressive shot. You know, whether it's... McLean jumping off the building or whatever the case is. And like in your brain, you know, it's not real. Like you really sometimes go like, that's not real. Like watching that shot, you're like, that's not real, but it's so well done. And it's it's like so impossibly impressive and cool and exciting that like you have this holy shit movies moment like movies like this doesn't you know what i mean and yeah, I it think doesn't when, doesn't bother you that it, yeah it, it's you or you it's like the, you can exist seams, in two planes at it, the same time cares? yeah you can see the seams and yet i'm watching a movie and i'm engaged in a movie and crafts the craft of it's like the craft of movie making becomes obvious to even the audience and we have this collective this only happens in the movies and i think now with vfx and and the fact that everything is is shot uh, so, you know, like with so much visual, uh, 
with so many visual effects and with like you know these giant screens that put in the background after like we have those experiences less than we used to it's more sanitized yeah and sometimes the grit in the oyster and the fl- the imperfections yeah. are part of the charm like a shaky camera you know yeah, it, it, it you feel like you're watching something actually happening even though you know it's not happening yes yes where we have this weird uncanny valley thing that i think happens to us now when we watch stuff the other sequence i think is worth noting and just into which i think is just a superb action sequence from top to bottom is the finale the, the, mm. there's all i think the snowmobile chase is is good and i think that's interesting because rennie harlan came you know comes from finland and yeah. snowmobiles are part of his you know his uh just you know lexicon um but the finale the the helicopter pursuit of the 747 and the, the world's act, longest really, runway <laughs> but they read that to your yeah. point but that was that's in camera the yeah. helicopter is actually flying over a 747 and you feel it and that is dangerous you yeah. know you feel that sense the sense of scale how big that plane is yeah you know um and it's so dynamic the fight on the wing uh were ultimately both grant and and stewart they m- die in some awful pretty grim, ways man pretty grim ways but and then the finale of with with Mac- as mclean is is beaten off uh whoa that that was that was the wrong choice of to- <laughs> anyone got a pair of scissors <laughs> as mclean is beaten and uh 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 kicked off the wing um <laughs> Uh, Wait, did we see wee, different what a cuts? Did we, did um, we see different cuts of the movie? <laughs> so in, the, in, in the in the Blu-rays, there's some. Uh, it feels like there's this extra scene I made in. up in my Leave head. Leave this in. Leave this in. I'm owning this. Um, uh, beaten up and then kicked off the wing, and in the process of doing so, he pulls out the uh, f- the the fuel cap, which of course 747s don't right. actually have, um, because that would not. My be, Subaru they don't just doesn't up, uh, have one. Yeah, I mean, come on. At a at a, at a 76. Um, uh, but in the process of doing that, the uh, of course the fuel fuel line trails down the runway, and McLean is able to light, crack open his Zippo, strike it on fire, and you say the immortal, "Yippee ki yay, motherfucker!" It's a brilliant it's sequence, brilliant, I think, and it's. Uh- it's also like so unbelievable, but not in a way that I'm like, who cares? Like, it's just, it's just wild. It's wild. And, you know, a testament to the movie is, uh, is a movie can be as sort of suspension is disbelievy, uh, you know, suspension of disbelief. This movie requires a high level of suspension of disbelief. And it doesn't matter because it's all a blast. But neither of those are my favorite action sequences. Oh, my lay it on me. favorite action sequence is the first one. It is the fight in the. In the baggage area. Oh wow! With the the guns that turn down into and dirty. It. I love it because it's the most McClaney for me. Yeah, it's, it's the one that makes me go like I'm watching John McClane furiously. It's more like the first movie. Yeah, like he pulls the golf club down. And he starts like improvisational. He improv- yeah, 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 improvising. And I think what I love about those that sequence, and I I do think this is true about the other sequences. So this is not shade towards those. Is that there's real storytelling going on in the action. You know, McLean is resourceful. He's character developments like these things that bring us back to, oh, that's John McLean. He's resourceful. He can kind of like, he loses his gun. He sees golf clubs. He goes for it. He grabs a spray bottle yep. and sprays it in Vondi Curtis Hall's face. And then, you know, but then he makes one error that drives me crazy, which is uh, my favorite terrorist, Oswald Cochran. If he doesn't kill this guy and just arrests him, None of the stuff that ha- follows in the movie happens because he's able to, you know, actually interrogate the yeah, guy. Yeah, get some information. But it's yeah. just, and that makes the movie better. You know, like thinking about those things after the fact, like, oh, if we just caught the guy 
and just like interrogated him, they would have known what would have happened. So I just love that sequence. But I also love how he realizes that the bullets are blank in the snowmobile chase because he knows he would have hit that guy. Mm. Like it's just it's just smart. It's 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 action filmmaking as storytelling. Yes, I, yeah, I, it's it, it does have an interesting mixture of different action styles yeah. throughout the film. There's you know that five really strong um, set pieces. And boy, Lenny, Renny, Renny, Lenny Harlan, Renny Harlan can can do suspense and action. I mean, goddamn, I mean, I uh, just incredible, especially in snowy locales. Snowy locales. The uh, opening scene of Cliffhanger is uh, incredibly harrowing. We'll get there. But yeah. I just I that that's one of those things that's burned permanently into my brain. Should we talk about the humor? Let's do it. We've covered a little bit of this. We have, but there's a particular thing I I, I want to mention, which you know we we talked a little bit about the meta, um, yes. the meta quips of which there are several. How can the same shit happen to the same guy twice? What John Amos says to him, "You're the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time." To Story which of my life. And oh, we are just up to our asses in terrorists again, John, is one of the other lines. Now, I think this is building on, I think this is just worth tracking in terms of like the, the genealogy through action movies, because this was starting to creep in at the tail end of the 80s. Tango and Cash, mm. in particular, had Stallone referencing Rambo, which is, re- you know, which really can, is starting to, to yeah, talk about breaking the fourth wall. That's really interesting and you know? weird. And because Stallone is really cast against type in. Rambo. Yes. So I mean, in, in, sorry, in Tango and yeah. Cash. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about how Die Hard did the, did the same thing. And this was a trend that started to pick up around that time. And I think reached its peak probably with Last Action Hero. It's a deconstruction of action mm-hmm. action movies and, we've you know, the, and the Shakespeare of it and, you know, all of that. So I think it, it's just worth noting that this was literally doubling down on the wink at the camera, self-referential, we know this is a movie, you know this is a movie uh, vibe yeah. that was a, a somewhat of a new trend that was was going on around that time. You know, one thing we actually did not talk about at all, we have not mentioned at all, is the sort of B-plot of this movie, which is that Holly McLean is on yes. a plane with Dick Thornburg. They have somehow ended up on the same flight what are the chances to Dallas, <laughs> to Dallas uh, right before Christmas? And she, they technically can't even be on the same plane mm-hmm. because she has, she has a restraining yep. order against her for slapping him at the end of the first film. Um, it's been noted by other people talking about this film that this feels like it was shot on a soundstage, probably a few blocks from where we're recording this podcast <laughs> right now. Um, Hi guys. <laughs> hey, I can't believe you're still there. Go home. Um, and it, it is. It is one of those things that screams sequel in the sense that it's like we got to get Thornburg Contri- the back. Contrivance. We gotta, yeah, we yeah. got to. We got to bring them back. The together. contrivance of it is, and it and it's sort of the humor. It's sort of like you know, Holly befriends the stewardesses on the plane, and they all and and the the grandma sitting next to her who has a taser, Chekhov's taser, taser that is shown in the first <laughs> act is brought back in the final act of the film uh, when she uses it on Thornburg when he is um, when he is uh, reporting uh, hysterically uh, and freaking everyone out on the ground at, uh, at Dulles. By the way, grannies get special discons- dispensation to have like uh, deadly weapons. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it seems. You know, oh yeah, son of blade. Debilitating weapons. Son of blade. Yeah, but grannies are allowed. It's, yeah, it's all good. It's fine. Um, you know, I, 
I sometimes wonder what this is doing in the movie beyond, as we said, this sort of like it's familiar and it's fun. Um, and and we and I think they were like it was a big year for Bonnie Bedelia between this and Presumed Innocent. Yes, she's it's probably the biggest year in her career. Can you believe that Presumed Innocent was like a top ten movie? It's unbelievable. Like of that year, that's that's the kind of movie that people went and saw. Let's I see, know. It's great. Yeah, Halcyon um, Days. It's just a. I just want to note it as like somewhat of the. It might be the comic relief to Sadler's humorless neocons. On yeah, the you need a little bit of levity. You need a little bit of air to be yeah. breathed into this pretty grim, um, dark situation driven by. And very, to take us know. out of the airport every yeah. once in a while. Yes. And, you know, this movie does uh, do the thing that a lot of great action movies did in this era, which is it has a lot of characters bouncing around in different environments. You know, it's la- it is, and the first one does this, but like. The first one has a single focus of we are at Nakatomi. This film uses the airport, the airplane stuff as a little bit of relief from the airport locale. The book does that a little bit too. The book kind of jumps around multiple perspectives, multiple planes. By the way, the book um, doesn't feature the plane, uh, like the intentional plane crash, but it does feature a midair collision. Um, between between two planes oh, cool. while they're while they're flying around, so um, you know some of the the challenge of this is just the the, po- the the circumstances under which we watch movies now are very different when it comes yeah. to planes and plane crashes. I and just stuff try, like you know, for me, I try and just look like everything I say. If we're being flippant and think these are just within the context of these movies, yeah, of course, what you know, one can separate real life and these movies. You know, whether like you can be flippant about deaths and yeah, well, and, it's a it's an it's a movie, and I think it, it's it, it's also worth saying that like. This movie is a banger. Yeah. Like, before we jump into some of our final... Well, we'll get there. It rocks. Um, Should we do our um, our awards? I don't know. We didn't agree on a song before. That doesn't happen at the Oscars, so I don't know why I did that. It happens some terrible 70s variety show. I loved it. Coming to you live. The Die Hard Oscars. All right. So, Phil... What is the first award we'll be giving out this Thank evening? you, Liam. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you to the Academy. Um, the John McClane Yippie Award for Best Quip. The nominees are Stack 'em, Pack 'em, and Rack 'em <laughs> by Ed Trudeau, FTD. FD, FDT. FDT. Excuse me. How dare I? That's a um, good one. I've got What Sets Off the Metal Detectors First The Lead in Your Ass or the Shit in Your Brains? Good. John McClane to uh, Carmine Lorenzo. Good one. Um, we already mentioned you can have two words, fucking you, from Colonel Stewart. That's I like the, the blunt force trauma. Of, That's an incredible one. Of that. Um, you mentioned Robert Patrick's line. But I'm also... A sitting I, duck. Yeah. I'm also partial to... boy, we've got you. We've got you. <laughs> we've got you. <laughs> That's good. Um, I'm going to go with none of those. Ooh. I'm going to go with... What McLean says after the, the, the shit in your brains, the lead in your ass, or whatever the line is, when he quietly mutters, fat fuck. <laughs> Sometimes the, the classics are just like... <laughs> well, it's just... <laughs> you know, it's, they're right it's in front of you, aren't an ad lib, right? And he just goes, yeah. fat fuck. And it's like, it's just unbelievable. It is... It is uh, Zinger. And it is... It's the, the shit in your... The line, it doesn't quite make sense, but just the... It's just the... Fuck. It's very, it's, it's very real. It's a very real. I actually McLean wrote moment. down in my notes here, my two pages of notes. I literally wrote, 
Middle of the page, fat fuck. It nice. Just says it right. Below, above it, it says Glock 7. So in case you want to know the kind of notes that I take when I watch a movie. <laughs> fat fuck and Glock 7. Whatever movie has both of those things in it, I'm, I'm in. Like, Die Hard 2. Get me the Blu-ray right now. What's our next award? Our next award is the Hans Gruber Master Thief Award for stealing the film. But hold on a second. We didn't actually award the... We didn't actually oh, give the Oscar. You're right. Should we go back? God, this is the worst Oscars ever. Yeah, it's I, like um, it's gotta be La La Land all over again up here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's but a disaster. We, hit, we we read Fat Fuck, but it didn't actually win. <laughs> Stack 'em, pack 'em, and rack 'em is pretty good. I, yeah, I feel like that's just a line that you can apply to almost any situation. It and also it sounds cool. It also feels late eighties, early nineties action. I love movie. it. Yeah, 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 it's really good. I'm still going. With you're getting you're, you're getting the car ready to go right. to Lake Tahoe. Stack and pack them and wrap. Right, right, right. Like right. whatever it is. Right, that's good. It slaps. Can you believe that Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway read Fat Fuck instead of Stack and <laughs> Pack them and Rack them at those Oscars? That was wild. Sort it out. <laughs> the Hans Gruber Master Thief Award for stealing the film. Our nominees are. William Sadler as Colonel Stewart. Mm. Fred Dalton Thompson as Ed Trudeau. John Amos as Major Grant. Art Evans as Leslie Barnes, the airport engineer who we haven't really talked about. And Tom Bauer as Marvin the Janitor. Uh, William Sadler cannot steal the movie that he's the third lead of, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to discount Disagree. him right now. I think Art Evans steals the movie. And I, huh. I, I kind of can't believe we haven't talked about him yet. He's so wonderful in this movie. He and he's I, I can't believe in the discussion of allies to McLean, he didn't come up because he has a little bit in common to me with the sound engineer in the hunt for October. Again, this is smart, competent people mm. doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. And it's not showy. It doesn't stick out the way that Franz does. But he's a character I think about. More than anybody else. I love Art Evans in yeah. this movie. I think yeah. he's great. It's also interesting. I wish he was in it more. Him and uh, William Sadler were both in Trespass. Oh, the Walter yeah. Hill, yeah. Uh, the Walter Hill movie. Who's your pick? Um, William Sadler. Yeah, of course it is. Um, All right, we're going with Art Evans. I will, because William Sadler <laughs> wasn't built, was built quite low because I think Reginald Bell Johnson and some of the other actors, he's actually like, in terms of the, the pre-credits, I think he's maybe the, like, I mean, the sixth name. On so. the IMDb list, which is in credits order, he is one, two, three, four, five, seven after yeah. Franco Nero. Now, Franco Nero is a bigger star, you know, historically, but um, no, that's true. It's, it's also weird that Reginald Bell Johnson gets fourth, considering yeah. the size of his, his role in the film. Yeah, but yeah, there you go. What are you going to do? Um, I think it's Art Evans, respectfully. I understand why you went with William Sadler. The... The Dick Thornburg Award for Dick of the Movie. The nominees are Captain Carmine Lorenzo, played by Dennis Franz, Vito Lorenzo, played by Robert Costanza, and Dick Thornburg, played by William Atherton. Okay, we can't give it to Dick Thornburg because I think we did it in the first one. Or did we give it to Dwayne T. Robinson? This was the thing I was trying to remember. Now, I have been working on my Dick of the Movie matrixes, my Venn diagrams. Like, let's really quarterback this shit. Like, let's really work this out. Now, here's Phil where hasn't I'm going. I've slept with this. in six months. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have a toddler. I never sleep. Reviewing, so this is what I date. do at night. I yeah. stay yippee motherfucker in the mirror and I do Venn diagrams <laughs> of, of who's the biggest dick and why. Right. Um, okay. Here's where I'm going with this. Now, in, in the first movie, 
what makes you like the biggest dick? I would say the most, it's the most evil or reckless or the worst, the worst, most malicious, most inhumane, whatever. Now, I, to, to which would say that actually the FBI agents are probably the biggest dicks in that movie oh, they're because huge dicks. they are willing to kill the hostages if it means they get the W, you know, like yeah. that, that. So they're the worst. So Boy, by again, that, Die Hard, great relationship to authority, huh? Right, loves right. loves people in power in the Die Hard films. So by that rationale, who is doing the worst things of these guys? Vito is just like he's he's uh, he's giving a parking ticket, which he's entitled to do. Right, it, you don't it, but, park just at the curb at an airport. I don't understand. So he's just doing his job. Right. He just happens to be smug and now, annoying. Giving parking tickets is a bullshit job, but that's a separate conversation. <laughs> so it comes down now. Captain Carmine Lorenzo puts people in danger with his bureaucracy and blah 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 blah. But to your point earlier, I would say that uh, Carmine redeems himself by ripping up that ticket. And also coming around at the exact at the moment end, he exactly. needs to. He so doesn't he's, prove to be so helpful. So to me, that makes him exempt from Dick Very the good, movie. very good. So you see where I'm going with this. This clears the floor for Dick, Dick Thornburg, Thornburg, who to- creates mass panic at the airport by uh, exposing what's going on and, and, and puts a huge amount of people at risk, causes a stampede, yeah. does it all in the name of his own opportunism that he you know relays to himself as uh heroism but is actually complete just career opportunism yeah so for me the winner is dick, dick thornburg. thornburg i think you're right i was actually gonna say um there's a lot of weird anti-press stuff in this movie franz has a scene where he's like i'm never gonna throw that first amendment shit in my face pinko bitch yeah like and and and, the, and the one reporter well no i guess sam coleman she's is okay reasonable. though and also she has a sort of redemptive it's interesting with the with this point because if you notice the the plucky female reporter was a real trope of that time yeah like universal soldier has it yeah um blood sport has Bloodsport it has it Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles oh, has movie. it. And it's supposed to be a character that we like. And for the most part, I think we do. And all those performances and all those performers, I think, are very charming. And I think she is She's uh, wonderful. In, this, She's great. in this movie, too. Um, and she has a redemptive moment at the end where she actually puts her hand over the camera and lets... Let's him have a John moment with his wife. Yeah. yeah. So she does have some respect for boundaries in a way that uh, Dick Thornburg doesn't. But he would be my pick. He sucks in this movie. He's worse in this movie than he is in the first movie. He, way worse, Because yeah. he seems to like have, have an even more inflated... And he's learned nothing. You he's know, learned he's, yeah. nothing. No, I think Dick Thornburg is the correct answer. Oh, no, it's my least favorite part of the show. This is oh, Double it's a good one. Jeopardy. No, no, no. We've got uh, best death. <gasps> I forgot. Oh no, this is a great more, part more of the show. More Oscars chaos. Phil, <laughs> we feel like this is like that Oscars. Yeah, it's this is it's like pretty the, authentic. This is like the last few years of Oscars. <laughs> Phil, who are the, what are the nominees for All right, best? There's three. Death. There's three crackers in this. This is just why I wanted to push for best yeah. death. Um, presented by Marco. <laughs> no more no table. <laughs> Okay, we've got ice. Next time you have the chance to kill someone, <laughs> don't hesitate. I just like to tee you up for a Marco impression because I know it like gets gets you jacked. Oh man! All right, so we've got the ice to see you moment where Baker, played by Tony Ganios, is killed via an icicle in the oh, eye. Oh yeah, the Trotsky way. Pretty as they uh, say. 
It's not Chekhov's, a cross Chekhov's icicle. <laughs> Just stealing their joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Die Hard 2. It's yeah. sort of like a yeah. law of diminishing returns. Yeah, it works. Um, it's good. So we've got that moment, the icicle in the eye. We've got Major Grant being sucked into the jet engine. And we've got blowing up the bad guys playing with a lighter, killing approximately 15 bad guys. It's the ice in the eye. Okay. I think, in my opinion. That's the most painful death in the movie. It's a pretty horror movie, to be honest. It's, it, it's also awesome. <laughs> it's yeah, really good. It's pretty rad. Just like a, I guess Trotsky was killed with an ice pick, but the ice, 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 the stalactite uh, to the eyeball is. Uh, I, I, I personally, I think it's Major Grant getting sucked into the jet engine. I just like, I'm a big yeah. fan. I'm a big fan of, of that type of thing. Like in Last Boy Scout where Milo gets his, yeah. you know, falls Last on the Boy road Scout. to blades. Or Ooh, Raiders boy. of the Lost Ark when the Nazi gets, uh, oh, that's, it's so good. When There's it, a lot of know. good deaths in Raiders of the Lost Ark. The uh, pistol shoot when uh, he just pulls the gun. It's, what? I've never heard of it. What? what, what Raiders what? of the Lost. Yeah. What is that? What, oh, is, that is that good? <laughs> stop. I don't, I don't so know. Um, all right. All right. So. Now it's time for my least favorite part of this. <laughs> favorite part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> <So I feel, laughs> um, just I feel practicing my more, maniacal laugh. Have, Shout out to Jimmy Reno. You have to Reno. start doing these as Simon. Uh, Simon from Dire to the Vengeance, like uh, riddles. You know, like at some Hook, point. <laughs> line. And sinker. He's so good. <laughs> Shout out to Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons. Okay. All right. Double Jeopardy quiz slash trivia. Um, in Die Hard 2, General Esperanza hails from the fictitious Latin American country of Valverde. Valverde also features in two other oh, shit. Joel Silver action movies from the 1980s. Can you name them? One is Commando. There is a clue available. You can yeah, phone a clue. friend. Yeah, one clue. I'm phoning a friend. I'm phoning, phone a friend. I'm phoning my friend, Hello? Phil. Hey, Hi. Hey, Phil. Hi. Did you watch those Oscars? Sorry, just, those were shit. Those were bad. I'm a little bad. I'm just doing some dishes. Can oh. you hold on a sec? Oh, you're can that. Can you hear me? Yeah. I'll call you back on Facebook audio. <laughs> okay. Wait great. a sec. Ring. Hello. Hey, Phil. <laughs> what? Give me a clue. What's the other movie that features Valverde that isn't Commando or Die Hard 2? The clue is Arnold Schwarzenegger stars in both films. Is it Predator? It is. Oh, what's the Predator Valverde reference in Predator? Um, I, I don't know if it's like on a map or uh, something. Like okay. maybe at the beginning when they're like setting up the mission and yeah, th this it was a fake country invented by Stephen E. D'Souza. Uh, Valverde, a little bit of uh, License to Kill parallel with a fictitious uh, Central or Latin American country. Yep, yep. Yeah. kind of there was a vibe of that going on. And and well, and the know. drugs, the yep. drugs. Everyone loved to write about drugs. Interesting. All right. Wow, Question that one wasn't two. that hard. Okay. Yeah. I feel better. Kudos. Thank you. Question two. At this the time. Be a mo monster. I, what, <laughs> what, what was ah. the number of the flights that Holly, Holly McLean was on? Okay. At the time, Die Hard 2 set the record for the highest body count in any movie. Um, I'm going to give you some latitude. Can you guess how many characters were killed? during the film like so total number of deaths total number of deaths and i'll give it to you within a within a range of 10 150 hold on here's a clue you can oh. phone, do you want to phone yeah hey phil it's liam again um did you finish those dishes <laughs> still cool. still working on them. <laughs> yeah you're really i'm really i apologize i know you're it's getting a little late you need like, to I get back to doing your mclean do impressions disturb. but if you yes, could just certainly think the clue is think about the number of passengers on the plane that crashes there were 230. 
260? Yeah, but 271. 271. Is the final final death count. All right. Question three. Bruce Willis lent his talents to two sequels released in 1990. One of those sequels was Die Hard 2. What was the other? Look who's talking to. Yay! That was actually a little bit easier than some of the most recent ones. Yeah, Bruce Willis provides the inner voice of the baby Mikey. It's been a while since I've revisited Look Who's Talking podcast. Is that next for us? That's a hard no. Yeah. <laughs> Look Who's Talking Pod. Pretty good name, though. Is it? Is it? <laughs> Sorry. Um, All right. Let's wrap, wrap this thing up. Let's, let's wrap this We've been going on it too long. Are you guys up. still there? Hello. Um, okay. Well, so where does it fit in the action movie tradition for you? Yeah. I mean, again, this is like a, a top 20 or 30 action movie. Um, it is... I think you've illuminated some things I've never considered about it before. Granted, I, I don't know how much time I've spent thinking about it, but I certainly appreciate it more after our, our conversation. Um, look, it is... I'll give it... Here's what I'll say. I think any action movie that still feels suspenseful the 20th, 25th time, which this does, when he's trying to get out of the airplane with the grenades... And you're like the grenades that take forever to, to detonate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still, it, it, it works. That is a stressful, suspenseful yeah, sequence. It's brilliant. It's yeah. brilliant. And I think it's like you know we've we've picked apart aspects of this movie, but only out of love. I think this movie rocks. Yeah, I agree. I love this movie. I think it's an excellent uh, sequel, and I think it's an excellent movie in its own right. I think I I, I love it. And it's as, not Die Hard, but what is? It's it couldn't be. There's yeah. only one Die Hard. So then, you know, I, I, that's why I say for me, take, take that off the table. Just enjoy it for, for what it is. It's a wonderful Christmas gift to be enjoyed by everyone. And shout out to William Sadler, you Oh my rock. God, you got to chill out. <laughs> so that's Die Hard 2. Pretty good. <laughs> I really love the portrayal of the British. That was my favorite part. Yeah, you love it when they portray caricatured British people in movies. Where were the unicycles? That was my only note. Hello. <laughs> can't help it. Uh, listen, if you haven't yet, based on how funny that was, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's time to do it. If you have a friend that likes Die Hard, likes Die Hard 2, likes action movies, please email them, tell them about the show. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Phil, uh, you on Twitter these days? I am at Philip Gawthorne. Nothing fancy. Just, just at Philip Gawthorne. That's it. Simple. Yeah, that's, you know, we'll find you that way. I'm at Liam G. Billingham. And, uh, and also the show is on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. That's DieHardOAB. You can also email us at DieHardOAB at gmail.com if you have a comment, question, if you want us to talk about something. We got to do a mailbag episode one of these Love days. To. That's assuming you guys get your act together and send us an email. We're so lonely. All we do is watch action <laughs> movies. So sad. Next time on the show, Phil, we're getting on the train. That's Where are we right. headed? To the to the we gotta head to the to the food car to the cafe car in that movie. Get a beer, maybe a seven and seven. What film are we talking about, Phil? We're gonna do Narrow Margin, the nineteen ninety action thriller, uh, written and directed by Peter Hyams and starring the great Gene Hackman, Anne Archer, James B. Sicking, J. T. Walsh, Emma Matt Walsh. It's a great movie, and I'm really excited to discuss it. And one I've never seen. This is the first one I've never seen, so I'm excited to get into it. Uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm Phil Gawthorn. And we'll be back next time with some new FBI guys, I guess. 
Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast hosted and written by Philip Gothorn. Liam Billingham co-hosts and produces the show. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Please rate, review, and subscribe and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Suki Chu and the whole team at Sugar23. See you next time on Die Hard on a Blank. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.